Uh, I'm going to speak to you this morning about something that's been close to my heart. Oh, I've got one more thing I didn't tell you about. Um, we have somebody in the church here that's blessed us and allowed us to, to purchase books and offer them to you at a very discounted rate. Um, you're, you can't buy them cheaper, but they, we picked out titles that have impacted um, our lives or, or staff members of ours in a really unique way. It's some of the best books out there from all different authors. It's stuff that we can kind of put our stamp of approval on as a church and say, this is good stuff that will build you up. And we're offering them out there for $5 a piece. They're brand new books. And so um, if you want to kind of you know, build your library and, and you're going to read the book, then we want it to get into your hands. And so they're only $5 each. Most of them sell for between 12 and probably 16 or 18. And uh, you can get your hands on them for $5 a piece. There's like, I think, uh, there's stuff from Danny Silk and Bill Johnson and all those guys. I mean, there's just great stuff out there. So uh, there's some Joyce Meyer stuff, I think. So um, if you don't have it and you'll read it, if you're just going to stick it on a shelf, then leave it here for somebody else. But if you're going to read it, please grab um, a copy of those. They're only $5 a piece. Isn't that a nice thing? Come on. I, I know some churches that buy the stuff for retail and then mark it up 20%. Or 40 So you're going to get it for less than half price. And, and we thank, I don't think the person wants to be uh, recognized publicly, but we thank you for sowing into that because it's a, an important thing to build the body of Christ. I have a message I want to preach this morning, and I, I was talking to somebody earlier this week and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about preaching, and we had this big, long discussion about it. And one of the things that the gentleman said to me is he said, don't apologize when you preach it. So I'm going to preach this this morning with no apology. Is that okay? And, and I want to encourage you not to get mad at me until the whole thing's over. And then at the end of it, if you're still mad, then it's okay. All right, you can be mad at me, but I want you to reserve your vote on me or this subject matter or what I'm getting ready to talk to you about until you've actually heard what the Word of God says about what I'm getting ready to tell you, and then, then you can decide if you want to believe the Word of God or not, all right? But this morning, I, 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 wanna, I want to, to touch on a subject that has been a very hot-button issue and I'm only using this as an example to teach you a greater truth underneath it and a real understanding of something that is misunderstood and abused in the church. And so the title of this message is Why My Church Loves Katy Perry. Now, how many of you would say, I have no idea who this woman is? Raise your hand. You might be better off for it, but that's... This Katy Perry, is. Um, she was the one that performed at the Super Bowl halftime show, which, by the way, was the most watched show in U.S. television history. It had higher ratings than any other Super Bowl and any other television show ever. So um, this is who this Katy Perry is. She is she's a pop star. She's... Uh, She's got some, I'm going to preface everything I'm getting ready to say by telling you she's got some, some foul lyrics and some stuff that's way off base and some stuff that if you read it or listen to it, you'll think to yourself, how in the world could Dan be bringing this up in one of his sermons? This woman, 
And so uh, she's not necessarily a, a perfect role model at all or someone I want my daughter to necessarily model after where she is in her life. But nevertheless, I want to teach you something through what's been happening and unfolding in the body of Christ. I want to tell you what happened with her. She, she, uh, she tweeted out to her, ready for this, 65 million followers on Twitter. 65 million followers on Twitter. She's got nothing on us right here. All like 300 that we have. <laughs> we, she, has 65, she tweeted out to her followers on Twitter, and she also did an interview where she said these things. She said, she said I, um, right before I went out, I was nervous. I was very nervous going out for my, for the, to do this halftime show, knowing that it was going to be one of the biggest, most televised watch things in history. And she said, I was nervous, and she said, God gave me a psalm to calm me down. And she said, I heard the Lord say, Katie, you got this before she went out. So um, to give you a little background on her, her parents are, are actually pastors. Her original name was Katie Hudson. She originally was a Christian artist and came out with a Christian album and went into the pop world and has been, you know, driven uh, to a place that most of us don't want to see her go lyrically. But nevertheless, she's getting ready to go out and, and, and get in front of more people than anyone else has ever been in front of in television history, for U.S. history. And she says the Lord speaks to her and tells her, gives her the psalm, and then says, Katie, you've got this. Well, the body of Christ, not really the body of Christ, because they're not functioning or acting like the body of Christ, but Christian leaders and religious leaders took the idea that God would speak to her when she was getting ready to go out and sing some songs that were inappropriate as blaspheming God and even went as far to say she was a part of the Illuminati or the Antichrist. I'm getting somewhere this morning, I promise you. This is not just a social commentary. I'm going to teach you something. And the hatred, and some would say, well, it's not hatred, we're just standing up for truth. Well, whatever you want to call it, the, the negative words that were spoken by religious leaders, most of whom have followers that are following what they say over her life and whether or not God can speak to her was very troubling. Very troubling. She was on the way out, granted, to sing some songs that were inappropriate. One of them is, I kissed a girl and I liked it. Everyone's like, never heard of it. Bull. All sorts of stuff that promotes stuff that we don't necessarily endorse or believe in. And so everyone just went berserk about how there's no way God could have spoken to her and that wasn't our God, the Christian God, and it might be her own little false God, and, and it's her emotions, and it's her this, or it's her that, and there's no way that this could be our God speaking to her. And it was just on and on and on, and, and people put Facebook posts that were five, six, seven paragraphs long, and it was just, it was nauseating when you think about the fact that, I think there was a man named Saul He wasn't on his way out to sing some bad lyrics. 
He was on his way to murder, decapitate, and slaughter Christians. He was the ISIS of the Bible. Who God revealed himself to this man, Saul, Paul as we know him, on his way to terrorize and to kill Christians. And yet God spoke to him. God spoke to Moses, the murderer, through a burning bush. God spoke to David and used his life to usher in the very presence of God as an adulterer and a murderer. And the list goes on and on and on in the word of God where unbelievers are people that were doing bad stuff. Either they just got done doing it or they were on their way to do it where God encountered and revealed himself to these people. And to think that we can take God and tell him who he can and cannot speak to as the all-knowing, all-omnipotent creator of heavens and the earth and tell him who he can speak to is absurd. I'm going to teach you something, so I'm just going to get this out of the way. There's a scripture we're going to talk about in a moment. This is really the crux of my message, and we're going to come back to it. But how many of you know that it's not hatred? It's not negative words. It's not condemnation. It's not shame. It's not guilt. It's not any of those things that leads people to repentance. Romans 2.4 says, It is his goodness. It is his kindness that leads people to repentance. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, he's going to come back to this part. Let's talk about repentance for a moment. Repent! Ever heard anyone preach that? You got to get up when you do it. Repent! I want to talk about repentance for a moment, and this is where some of you are going to get mad at me, but that's okay. We're going to get something out of it. Repentance is probably one of the most twisted and misunderstood terms in the whole Word of God. See, I've had people accuse me and accuse my dad and accuse friends of ours, you know, people that were much more holy and righteous than we were, accuse us of not preaching repentance. You don't preach repentance. How many of you got saved in this church? And how many of you knew you had to repent before you got saved in this church? Right. You don't preach repentance. And what they're really saying, it's a misunderstanding of what repentance is. What they're saying is you don't keep your people, the people that already know me, that have come to know me, you don't keep them conscious of their sins enough. Which, which the body of Christ traditionally has used as a way to control people. If I can keep them conscious of their sins, conscious of their wrongdoings at all times, then every week they're going to have to come up here, get on their knees, repent again, get saved, and I can keep them controlled. 
Because as long as they need me, they need me. The great man of God. Now, for those of you who don't think I'm telling the truth, you need to look somebody that's been in the church longer than you and say, is he telling the truth? And they're probably going to say, he's telling the truth. Repent, 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 repent. But I've repented. I accepted Jesus. Repent some more. Well, where is this found in the word of God, Brother Dan? I'm going to show you. Hebrews 10. For the law, since it only, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. He's saying, listen, the law, if you make sacrifice year after year, it can never make you perfect. It's never going to bring you to a place where you find perfection, the perfect will of God in your life. You can sacrifice week after week after week. Sacrifice meaning making atonement for your sins, repenting for your sins, making atonement, saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I messed up again, I messed up again, I messed up again, I messed up again, I messed up again. I'm never going to stack up. I'm never living enough to please you. I'm always in a position where I'm never Never good enough. Repent, repent, repent. Sin, sin, sin. Your sins, your sins, your sins, your sins, your sins. That's what it says. It says, it'll never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, in other words, on the flip side, they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having, everyone say, once been cleansed. That's present tense once. Once been cleansed would no longer have consciousness of sins. This is what happened in the first service. They were voting on me the whole time until the end. And they're like, he's right. Yeah, I know. I'm supposed to be. (laughs) Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. You see what he's contrasting here? He's contrasting the, uh, the mentality or the understanding that if I just every week repent and, 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 and come to the Lord every single week with what I've screwed up with and repent, 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 repent for my sins and make atonement and try to pay the debt and try to pay the debt and I incur more debt and then I try to pay it and then I incur more debt and then I try to pay it then I incur more debt and I try to pay it like a revolving uh, credit card or line of credit when you, you rack up charges and you got to pay it at the end of the month and you rack up charges and you got to pay it at the end of the month. Unfortunately, that's the Christianity that a lot of us have lived and it's led to the exact opposite of my shirt. Now, I have this big, fancy, beautiful red velvet coat that I was wearing, but it was hiding these words so I took it off and left it upstairs because I want at the end of this for you to do this live free all right so listen to this repentance means to change your mind did you know that some of you did some of you didn't repentance simply means change your mind that's going to make sense when we get to Romans 2 4 again If someone pays your debt and you continually go back to the creditor and say, how much do I owe you? I'd like to pay my debt off. How much did I rack up this week? I want to know how much I I I need to pay you. Not only do you dishonor the man who paid your debt off, but you stay debt conscious all the time. You live a life with when, when you're not, freedom is not on your mind. Salvation's not on your mind. 
His love and grace and, and destiny of your life isn't on your mind. It's your debt that's on your mind. I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you this. You're going to learn this today. You're going to walk out of here totally free. And so the Lord says, and I'm going to read some more scriptures to reinforce that, but the Lord says, I paid your debt once and for all. You have been cleansed once and for all. Let's continue to read in Hebrews. Don't vote on me yet. You'll get there. Hebrews 10, 10, same chapter. By this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Everyone say, once and for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. I don't, th- I don't know how you can make it more plain. I mean, we can say, well, yeah, that one time the disciples, this, that. No, I don't know how you can make it more plain. He says, listen, I took care of it. I took care of it. Let's, let's read on. We're going we're to get somewhere. First John. Listen to this. My children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now listen to this. And we're going to read on in a second, but listen to this. He's saying, listen, don't sin. Don't sin. But he says, if you mess up, how many of you know we mess up sometimes? Someone's like, I don't remember the last time that happened. <laughs> Just ask your wife, all right? But he's saying, don't sin, but if you sin, I want you to know that you've got an advocate in Jesus Christ who will advocate on your behalf to the Father, who is the propitiation of your sins. In other words, he's, he's already gone between and paid the price before you even messed up. Now, when you start preaching this stuff, people get mad, but you cannot escape the Word of God. You can get mad, but you cannot escape the Word of God. It's plain as day. It says, listen, don't sin, but if you, if you sin, know that Jesus Christ is the advocate to the Father. In other words, what happens is, You take that credit card out and you rack up a debt. And before you can even jump on your phone and get to that app, American Express app, and transfer funds to take care of it, when you even go to do that, Jesus has ziplined over the Father and said, hey, Aaron messed up, which never happens. Aaron's messed up. And um, you, you, you remember Aaron. Yeah, she, she messed up. She screwed up. She did something she shouldn't. And, and, but Father, I would just want to remind you, remember, I already paid the debt, so don't, don't send him a bill. And then we sit at our mailbox going, I know I'm going to have to pay for this. Every day opening the mailbox, waiting to see that American Express bill. It's there. I know it's going to be there. And you finally get the statement. You're like, did they miss the charge? What's up with this? And then you call the credit card dump and you're like, I don't think you understand. But I charged this card and uh, there's none on my bill. But that's the, practical, that's the practical example of what happens when the father says to the son, yep, I remember you paid the price. It's taken care of, and boom, it's wiped. It's taken care of. 
When you receive Jesus, you receive all that he did for you. When you receive Jesus into your life, when you make him the Lord of your life, you receive that once and for all sanctification that he saved and set you free. You know, sometimes we get excited when the altars fill up with people, but when, when nine out of ten of them have given their lives to the Lord last week and then gave their life to the Lord the week before and gave their life to the week before, and everybody up here feels great because we're filling the altars with people that are saying yes to Jesus, I think that's unhealthy. Oh, I'm getting popular this morning. I think it's unhealthy when people aren't taught and understand what's been done and paid on their behalf, and every week they think they have to get saved again. Let me tell you how weird that is, and I want to be nice about this, but let me tell you how weird it is. If you look at it from a pure, pure kind of, step back for a second and look at it. Have you ever seen like a six-year-old child nurse? I have. I've seen five, six-year-old children that'll come up to mom, and they're standing up on their own two feet, and mom puts her shirt down, and they, they nurse. It's weird. Right? Why is it weird? Because you should be too old for that. You need to get beyond the milk, and you need to get beyond that first step into life. You need to get beyond that just, I'm just barely making it. I need mom's milk every second of the day. At some point, you have to realize that you, God's called you to step beyond just barely being saved and understand that he's destined and called and designed you to function as a believer and to be effective in the kingdom of God. You think that little boy can go to school? No. He can't function the way a six-year-old could function. And the reason, one of the great reasons I believe that the body of Christ is so ineffective around the world at large is because we keep people sin conscious. Under the guise of preaching the truth of the gospel. Well, the gospel by its very name is the good news. It's not a list of what you did wrong last week. Do you know, I've never had anybody that couldn't remember what they did wrong last week. Unless they were really messing up and tripping on something. But then when they came off of it, they, I never said to somebody, hey, did you have a perfect week last week? And they're like, yep. <laughs> you don't remember anything you did wrong? Nope. Actually, even people in the world that aren't necessarily sitting in a church and even know who Jesus is will stop. And if you ask them, on the tip of their tongue, at the very front of their mind, is everything they've ever done wrong. My wife and I spent an enormous amount of time, as you know, in the NICU, and we had an opportunity to minister to doctors and nurses and techs and, and other moms and dads and people in this whole thing. And what I found out, a lot of them are actually believers there, but the ones that weren't, what I found out was the minute they knew that we were there with goodness and love and kindness, that they would open their heart up and they would just spill out everything they'd ever done wrong. 
I didn't have to remind them or condemn them or hold their face to the wall, their nose to the wall, stick a dunce cap on them. I didn't have to do any of that. I just simply, we, we would just love them and listen to them and care for them. And it was the loving kindness of Jesus through our lives that led them to a place of repentance. It wasn't us slamming them over the head. Now, for those of you that know this chapter in 1 John 2, you're like, see how conveniently he read verse 1 and verse 2 and didn't read verse 3? Well, I got your verse 3 right here. Hey, come here. I got your verse 3. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. <gasps> oh, see, that's the part you wanted me to read, because that just proves your point this morning. Actually, it proves my point. You're going to see. It says, hey, listen, if you say you know him and you don't keep his, your, his commandments, you're a liar. That's not, that's not what I'm preaching. I'm not, I'm not preaching about whether or not you should keep his commandments. You should keep his commandments. But I want to teach you what brings people to a place where they want to keep his commandments, where they want to repent, where they want to get right with the Lord, where they want to come with right understanding with him. How many of you want to know how to do that? How to have the people around you want to come to Jesus? Not you have to trick them or, or guilt them or shame them or put their nose to the, the floor, but actually want to come to Jesus. He says, listen, if you don't keep my commandments and you say you know me, you're a liar and you don't have the truth. Why? Here's why. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. I want you to see the term that's used here. It doesn't say the love of God is perfected or will be perfected. It said the love of God has been perfected. You have to understand the language here. Jesus is saying, listen... As my love is perfected in people, as they experience the goodness, the kindness, the love, the mercy that is in me, they will keep my word. You see that? It says has. Has been perfected. As they encounter my goodness, they will keep my word. Romans 2.4, like I mentioned, said it leads them to repentance. In other words, this is what it does. It says, this is, this is God. He doesn't look like me. Trust me. He says just like this. He says, come here. I love you. you you're, you're the most incredible creation that I've ever created. Come with me. I want to lead you. Stand up. I want to lead you to repentance. See? And then we come up here. And he says, it's okay. I've paid the price for everything you've ever done. It's just me and you. Let's talk about it. And you say, Lord, I repent. I messed up. I haven't lived for you. Thank you. He doesn't come and say, if you don't accept me, you're going to be so messed up. How's that for a pickup line? <laughs> if you won't be my Valentine, your life's going to be terrible. <laughs> See, I knew I'd work Valentine's in this sermon one way or another. He says, no, come with me. 
I want to I want to lead I want to go before you in repentance. I want to take your hand. I want to lead you into repentance with my loving kindness with my goodness. I'm teaching you this because that crazy Katy Perry got me thinking. Maybe the Lord in that moment knowing she was getting ready to go out and sing some crazy lyrics was saying to her Katie let me lead you to repentance you've got this honey come with me maybe for a moment the Lord because he loves the lost he sent his son for the lost when they were blaspheming him when they were hanging him on the cross when they were beating him when they were when they were gambling about his belongings when they were piercing him when they were mocking him when they were making him look like a fool when they were ripping pieces of flesh out of his back he was still there to make the sacrifice it had nothing to do with their response or their actions or whether or not they were on their way to do something wrong or they had just come from doing something wrong he sent his son for people just like her just like you and just like me he sent his son to die for people that hated him they mocked him and he still came to die for them why because he loves the lost that much and when we say there's no way Jesus could have spoken to the lost we miss the point we miss the point that's what's on his mind that's what keeps him up at night. That's, that's what's raging through his mind. It is the Katy Perry's of the world. It's, it's the guys sitting out on the curbside. It's the T-Swizzles of the world. You don't know who T-Swizzle is, do you, old people? It's Taylor Swift. Uh, duh. Listen, I had some teenagers this Thursday night that were teaching me stuff. I felt so old. They were telling me, they taught me stuff, and I put it on Facebook just to test out if it was real, and it was these kids have entire languages you don't know about. They have like, you know, like, I'm at like the LOL stage. I know what that means. These kids have whole other languages. They were teaching me. It was a Stallman children there. And yours. Yes. They said, I don't even want to tell you. They have a term called on fleek. And it started with people's eyebrows, apparently. I don't know what that means. But it's, it's another term for on point. And if you don't know what on point is, I don't know where to start with you. <laughs> they have a whole other language. But even in their language, which we don't understand, by we, I mean me. But I'm learning it. Thank you, Sydney. You know, some Sunday you should give the whole, whole church a lesson on these things. What was the other ones? Same. They just say same for no reason. They were trying to tell me they do. They're just being conversational. They just go same. And then that somehow wraps up the conversation. I'm like, that's all. So if I'm talking to somebody on the phone and I just don't want to talk to them, I just say same and it's over. <laughs> These kids are brilliant. And then... They use the term S-H-I-P, which I'll try to say without sounding worse. They use the term ship. That means something, and it's not something that floats in the water. It's not the Titanic. That's when you wish or will two people together, like relationship. 
So let's say I'll ship them. <laughs> what? <laughs> but I'm getting it. I'm hoping soon I'll have such a vocabulary of young words that you guys won't understand an entire sermon. <laughs> and what was the other one? T. What does that mean again? Oh, I knew that one. What was the other one? You had another good one that was totally off the rocker. No. Anyways, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but folks, we're behind. I'm just telling you that right now. But even the Taylor Swifts of the world, even it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've gone. God's calling and leading you into a place of repentance. He's saying, come to me. I'm going to read this for you. Luke 22. I'm almost done. We'll get out of here by 1230. Who said that? Someone said same. Don't start that with me. But that was a good use of it, I think. When Jody, and I mean not Jody, I get you two mixed up. When Jenny said to me, you don't know what on fleek means? I was like, no. She's like, oh my gosh. I thought you were current and hip. And I'm like, I'm not apparently. Verse 60. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> Appropriate, right? See, it's scriptural, my response. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. No, Peter, in this situation, that was situational, totally. Peter, in this situation, this is the third time he denies Jesus. And this is what happens. He says, he says man, I don't know what you're talking about. When somebody asks him about Jesus, and he says, immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And this is the third time. This fulfilled what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And this is the third time. And this is what it says in Luke. It says, Jesus, or the Lord, turned and looked at Peter. So Peter denies Jesus the third time. He's setting essentially the course in place for the Romans to take Jesus and to crucify him. He's denying he ever knew him. He doesn't want to be connected with him. And, and, and this is the, one of the great betrayals, along with Judas. This is one of the great betrayals in the Bible. He says, this says the Lord turned and looked at him. In other words, the Lord encountered Peter for a moment. After he had messed up and did not end the third time, he, he stopped what he was doing and he looked at him. And he didn't say to him, I told you, you idiot. This is time number three. I told you you were going to deny me three times. What's wrong with you? I thought you knew me. I thought we were good. This is the third time you've denied me. He turns and he looked at him. Only after Jesus turned and looked at him did Peter realize, oh my gosh, I messed up. Peter never repented before Jesus looked at him. Peter never recognized he had done anything wrong until Jesus stopped and looked at him. Until he peered into his eyes. And then he realized, oh my, I messed up. And then the Bible says, at the end of this, it says, Peter left weeping bitterly. 
He did not need a reminder of his screw-ups. He did not need a reminder where he messed up. He didn't need somebody screaming at the top of the lungs from the pulpit, repent, you sinner. You messed up. You denied me three times. All he needed was for Jesus to look on him, for him to lock eyes with him, for him to realize, this is a good man. He's my savior. I messed up. I screwed up. He says, the Bible says he left there weeping bitterly. Remorseful. In a state of repentance, knowing he messed up. Romans 2.4, as we said in the beginning. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. The King James says the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The Message Bible says in kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and he leads us into a radical life change. To a change of mind, change of understanding. He leads us lovingly. I read a blog that had kind of come out to kind of try to tell these folks that were so angry at Miss Perry. I read what they put, and I want to read this to you because it's beautiful. It says, and if we are so sure that Katy Perry can't hear the voice of God, then we need to question the burning bush for the murderer Moses or the encounter on the road to Damascus for the terrorist Saul or the multiple times the adulterous King David entered the presence of God. You see, Scripture is full of undeserving hearers who somehow, just before or after sinning, got to hear God's voice, and their lives were changed forever. Yes, I'm always tempted to judge the ridiculous excitement we feel when somebody on TV says the word God. But somehow I feel hopeful about this one. I don't feel hopeful because I want her 65 million Twitter followers to hear about her born-again experience. But I feel hopeful because I know that God loves his daughter. I know that he's been there when she's ignored him, and I know that his mercy has been new through her brokenness and shame, just as he's done for me and just as he's done for you. My heart this year is that we would become a healthy, 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 loving, welcoming church. So much so that I'm going to be recruiting some of you to help Art and his team. Because I want to line, when people are coming through the doors, I want to line them with smiling faces, loving faces, that are the goodness of God and the kindness of God that will lead them to repentance. When you realize, when you really come to the understanding of the way God has this work in our lives, it all makes sense. And if you look back to the moment you said, Lord, I need you, you'll realize it was the beauty of his face shining upon you. It was the message of hope that was being preached. It was the feeling of love that you got from a song that was being sung. It was that moment of clarity and hope in a hopeless situation in a jail cell somewhere. It was when you were in your house by yourself and somebody had just left you and and no longer cared about you. Well, you realized there was somebody that does care. Somebody that is full of goodness and kindness. 
Those are the moments that people say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I need you, Jesus. It's not in the moments where we rant on Facebook about the lyrics or the this or the that. It's not in the moments where we look at somebody and tell them how messed up they are. It's not in the moments where we elevate ourselves onto a pedestal to make people feel like they'll never measure up to the beautiful Christian that I am. It's not in those moments that people make the decision. It's in the moments where they know that Jesus is kind towards them, is good to them. Sometimes the only way they know this is through you and I. Sometimes the only way they'll experience who God is is through you and me. Do you realize that we represent Jesus to the world? Do you know when we say to Katy Perry or, or the millions of followers that maybe are in the same shoes that she is, who don't know Jesus, when they see our response to her, they assume that that will be our response to them. Do you know the damage that we do to the millions of people that could be getting saved when we send a message that if you don't see things the way we see them, that God doesn't care about enough about you to speak to you? If you're not living according to the way we think you should live, God can't speak to you. If you're caught in sin and mistake, if you're out there spreading stuff that shouldn't be spread, do you, do you, God can't speak to you. That's the message we send as the body of Christ. And it's not the message that he died for. He died for a message of love and kindness that we would lead people to a place of repentance. He died so that you and I would encounter his love and his affection for us. He died so that those that were blaspheming, those that hated him, those that were on their way to kill Christians, those that were murderers, those that were adulterers, he died so they would know his loving kindness. And the only way we can change, the only way we can change and affect hearts is if you and I go out into this world and we encounter people with the same loving kindness, the same goodness, the same love that we were encountered with, the same feeling that he brought to us, the same experience that we had from us. It's the only way to turn hearts and to lead people by the hand into a life-changing repentance experience. It's it. Nothing else works. It doesn't just work, but it blasphemes and, 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 and absolutely just takes the sacrifice for you and I and throws it out the window and it causes the body of Christ to be ineffective. I want to switch this in your brain so that you and I can really do what God's called us to do. Did you get me this morning? You feel that? Good. Stand to your feet. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Father, we thank you that you didn't apply the same standard to our lives that we oftentimes apply to others. We thank you that you didn't look for us to be, have our act cleaned up before you came and loved us, spoke to us and encountered us, revealed yourself to us, God. I'm glad that you came to us in our mess and you came with no pretense and you came to love us where we were at. And it was that love that drew us to a place of repentance.
So God, help us take what we receive from you. Help us take that loving kindness to the world around us that they would know who you are through our lives. That we could take them by the hand and with loving kindness, with goodness, lead them to you. Because we know when they see you, they're going to want to give everything else up. Because you're worth it. So God, help us understand that this repentance is about changing our mind and and there's a world around us that needs to come to that place, but they're only going to come there as we extend the very thing you extended to us. We thank you, Jesus, that we were open enough this morning to receive this into our spirits and even some of us at first that fought it that are willing to open our minds and allow the word of God to reorganize and reprioritize and restructure our understanding of you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says...